I got a great email from a guy. I'm going to summarize it. He said, I grew up dirt poor. And he said, I moved out to California to get the job of my dreams, uh, delivering pizzas for Domino's. And he said, but you know, one thing I did learn through that whole process was uh, giving. My grandparents were always faithful givers. And even though I grew up dirt poor, uh, they modeled for me something really great and uh, grew up without a dad and was just trying to make a living. And he said, but I faithfully tithe. He's been a part of uh, my friendship, my world for probably 15 years, been a part of this church from day one and love the guy to death. Um, anyway, I, I said, what's going on in your life? How's God blessed you in the area of your giving? And he said, well, he said, I bought a house in uh, a, a teardown, really. It's in Corona Del Mar three years ago, all right? And uh, it's 1,100 square feet, and I just sold it for $2.2 million. And he said, so the profit on it was pretty amazing, but he said, I don't even care about that. He said, what I've seen in my life is every time I give, God brings back something that is beyond what I could ever think. And he said, I, don't, I really don't care. He said, I care about eternity. He said, you know, the last thing I want to do is have something here on earth and have nothing in eternity. See, Jesus said that if you lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, you will get earthly treasures. But if you lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, you'll get heavenly treasures. And if you live to be 100, that's a great life. It's a pretty good run. But what's that compared to eternity? It's a, as a friend of mine once said, it's a speck of dust that hangs precariously on the edge of a bucket by comparison. You know, we've been looking at a scripture. It's kind of been the theme verse for this series to start out. You ought to know it by now. It's Romans chapter 10. And verse 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if I want to grow in faith, what do I have to do? I have to hear the word of God. I have to take in the word of God. And when I take it in, it has a transformational process that, that takes me through to where I begin to see things in the spiritual realm that I do, couldn't see apart from the Holy Spirit of God and his word. Never underestimate the word of God. A lot of people say, well, I pray a lot. I say, well, that's great. Do you also read a lot? You need to re stay in the word of God because it's gonna feed your spiritual man. It's gonna feed your faith. So in Romans chapter four and verse 20, we're introduced here to one of those biblical characters that we've heard about, a guy by the name of Abraham. And it says he, Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Now here's what I've seen people do, here's what I've experienced myself, is I have a lot of faith, and I, and I have this three levels of faith. I have the intellectual faith, I believe God can do anything. All of us have that. But then we have the emotional faith, and we get all worked up, we think, I think God's gonna do something. And then God doesn't do anything. Because the third and the highest form of faith is volitional. That's where I begin to confess it, I begin to act on it. It's a part of my will. I choose to believe that God. That's what it says here. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced. Now, here's the key. 
what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So for example, when I read in the word of God, it says, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, okay, that's the promise. I will be saved, see it? The promise is I will be saved. When I confess with my mouth, I believe the promise. I don't waver in unbelief. And this book, the Bible, is a promise book for you. And you read it, and as you read it, God gives revelation. You'll be reading a scripture, and God will say, that's for you. And you know it's for you. Sometimes people will walk out, and they say, I think you built that sermon just for me. Well, maybe, but maybe for all of us, amen? We all need the word of God. We all need to be challenged. So what he had promised, he was also able to perform. If God can't keep the promise in one area or another, what makes you think he's gonna keep the promise of salvation? See, your entire, your entire future is built around the promises of God. Not about your ability. It's not about your health or, or your heredity. It's, it's none of those things. It's all about God and his promises. And when you believe the promises of God, do you say, I'm gonna walk the promises of God? Do you ever doubt? Do you ever get discouraged? Absolutely. What do you do? I keep going. I refuse to doubt. I just say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not gonna allow my mind to go down that rabbit trail because once it starts going down there, I meet a lot of other rabbits who tell me more bad news, amen? amen? All right, so let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses one through three. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, you don't normally think about faith being a substance. We think of substance as something we can hold. We call it reality in the natural world. But he said, faith is your substance. It has something there that you need to grab hold of. It's the evidence of things not seen. See, when I'm believing, when I'm praying for something, I don't see it. But I can see it in the spiritual realm and say, that's mine. And when I begin to pray in faith, and I say, that's mine, then it becomes a reality in my spiritual world, even though it's not yet a reality in my natural world. Now, we're gonna go a little deeper in faith today, so we're just kind of warming up the pot, all right? So what I have to do is I, through the word of God, I say, if the promises of God are true, God's speaking to me in his promises, and that promise applies to me, then I'm gonna begin to confess it before I see it. You see, you've gotta say it so when it's not so in order for it to be so. Did you follow that? Let me say it one more time. You've gotta say it so, that what you're believing for, when it's not so, in order for it to be so. You have to walk by sight, right? No, you walk by faith. <laughs> Some of you are such good listeners, you go, uh-huh, I believe it. He, he said the Martians are coming and I believe that too. Walk by faith and not by? Now we've got it down, okay. It's the evidence of things not seen. Now look at this. For by it, what, faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, how? By the word of God. You see, God spoke the world into existence. He didn't start with a stack of two by fours and concrete and build the universe. That's what we do as builders. That's, what, that's earthly. God spoke and the world was instantly created. 
He says the world was created by the things that, that are not worth seeing, but the things which are invisible. So God takes the invisible and he makes it visible. That's faith. When you speak faith, you're taking the invisible and you're making it visible. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Doesn't have to. You see, what, you, what we believe is not beyond reason. It just far exceeds the reason that we have. Our ability to reason only goes so far. That's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your what? Own understanding. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense in the natural realm because it makes sense in the spiritual realm. You see, faith operates in the spiritual, not the natural. People say, well, just have faith. That's the most empty statement in the world. Faith in what? Your faith has to be objective. I don't have faith in doctors. I have a reasonable ability to believe that they're accurate and they're doing a good job, but I have faith in God. You see, it's different. People say, well, I just think everything's gonna work out. And I always ask people, has every person you've ever said that to, has it worked out? Well, no. Well, then I don't have a basis for believing that your statement, everything's gonna work out, is gonna work out. But if I go to God, now I go to the source and the authority. Do you see the difference? All right, now let me give you another one. Faith is released by your words into the natural world. You see, your mouth becomes either a, a, a voice of life or a voice of death, Proverbs 18. Are the words that you're speaking, are they life? Are they faith? Or are they discouragement? I don't know what I'm going to do. This recession, yeah? Why don't you recession-proof your life with God? You see, God is able to do that which you cannot understand. In fact, the Bible says God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ever what? Ask or even think. Now imagine that. You think, wouldn't it be great if, and God says, yes, I can do that. Instead, we walk around miserable, discouraged by the environment we live in, discouraged by the leadership that we have on a, on a national or local level, instead of recognizing we have leadership who is sovereign, king of kings, and lord of lords over all things. I'd rather trust him, amen? I've not met too many politicians I could trust, but I trust God, amen? Trust God. All right, now give me to give you another one. Faith releases God. Doubt hinders God. You see, if you're moaning and groaning about no faith, God's not sensitive to that. What? No, he's not sensitive to that. He's going like, well, if you want to be miserable and doubt me, go ahead. But you'll come back around when you get desperate enough. You see, when you really get hungry for God, you'll go eat from his table. When you finally eat all the spiritual junk food the earth has to give you, you'll go to his table. And you go, wait a minute, this is different. This tastes different. Yes, it sustains you. This is, this is the manna that comes from above, not from below. This is the everlasting bread that Jesus spoke about. This is the living water that Jesus spoke about. And when you drink from it, you will, it will be like an artesian well welling up inside of you. It'll be like rivers of living water that are constantly flowing, pushing out all the debris and bringing life to your very, very soul. 
This is what faith does. God works in you, through you, and for you. Now let's think about that. God's working in you right now. He might be resisting you because you're resisting him. You say, I'm not cooperating with God in me. You have to cooperate with the God who's in you. You see, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit came to indwell. You are the temple of the living God. Are you cooperating with the God that's in you? Or are you doing this self-talk, God, I know this all sounds right, but I just don't see it. That's resisting God. That's quenching the Spirit. That's grieving the Spirit. God, I want to cooperate with you. You're telling me something, but I don't like it. That's all right, God says. There's going to be a lot of those moments in your life. But believe me, trust me, and I'm going to show you what's happening. So God is working in you, and he's working through you. Do you realize when you give a great testimony of God and what God's doing in your life, you affect people around you? You affect your friends, you affect your children, your parents, your neighbors, your coworkers, your schoolmates. Everybody is affected when you talk about faith. People say, what, well, you know, what are you believing God for right now? And I'll just say, this is what I'm believing God for. You should be able to answer that question anytime somebody asks you, what are you believing God for? And then the second part of it is, is God doing what you're believing him for? See, this is where it really, the rubber really hits the road, doesn't it? Is, is God doing what you're believing him for? You say, well, I've been believing for quite a while, keep believing. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. See what God will do. Now watch this next one. You can tell how much faith you have by what God is doing in you, through you, and for you. What's the test of faith? What is God doing in your life? See, the test of faith was when you confessed Christ and you became a Christian, then you knew you had faith because you knew God brought you to his very, uh, to the cross and brought you to salvation. But see, that's not the end of the spiritual experience, is it? That's only the beginning of the spiritual experience. Now I have to walk by faith every day and see the hand of God, and I want to be able to push out into the edge there and see God do some great things. So faith is acting based on what God has said. Now these seem so basic, so fundamental, but they're not. They're complex because you're wrestling with your human will. You're, you're wrestling with what you see and what you feel and what you taste and what you touch. You're wrestling with the five senses and they're always at battle with you. You know, five in the Bible is a number of death. See, if you live by the five senses, it'll kill you. You have to live by the spiritual sense. Faith enables you to treat the future as present and the invisible as visible. See, when you begin to walk in faith, you begin to see the house you want to live in. You begin to see the, the change in your children. You begin to see the move of God in your own life, in your church, in your community. You begin to walk in the invisible in order that the visible might be manifest in the visible. Faith transports you into the future so you can look back and know that God has done in the past what you believed him for in the future. See, faith is throwing something out into the future and then walking into it. But if you're not throwing anything out into the future, what are you gonna walk into? 
Jesus said to his own disciples, up until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask that you might be fulfilled and your joy might come. In other words, why are you not asking me for great and mighty things? I have people say, well, I only ask God for the big things. There's a Hebrew word for that. You know what it is? Dumb. (laughs) The Bible says, bring everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving unto God that your joy might be made full. So what are you gonna do? Only have partial joy? I'm just gonna wait for a big thing, pray for that, and then I'm gonna live in misery the rest of the time. You see, the promise of joy and the promise of answer comes from all things before God in prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, that your joy might be made full. Jesus said, my joy I give unto you, not as the world gives, but my joy do I give unto you that my joy might be in you and your joy might be made full. See, the Christian life is really the life of Christ in you. That's the Christian life. It's not trying to be a good person, show up at church, get baptized, have communion. You know, that, those are all nice things, and those are things you can do and should do. But the Christian life is Christ in you, living out his life in you, so the only explanation of your life is him, not you. Then when you face a difficult situation, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe this is for you. The devil knocks at your door, Jesus, I'm not answering that. Would you get that for me? And in your spiritual sense, you'll have ring. You'll see it in advance. You'll say, I see who's at the door. I'm not going to the door. Amen? I don't want to answer the door when the devil comes knocking. Amen? Come on, you can clap more than that. for. Now, let's remember something. Let's remember. This is foundational. Remember that God is the owner of all things. You don't own anything. I walk outside periodically and I'll look at my house and I'll look around and I'll say, God, I hope I'm a good steward of your stuff because I don't own it. It's not mine. I'm a manager of it. And I want to glorify you in everything I have. My money, it's not mine. It's yours, God. The Lord is the owner. It says the earth is the Lord's and and its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. So what is it God doesn't own? He owns all things. He owns you. He owns me. He owns this world. He owns everything. Like that great preacher from uh, San Diego, S.M. Lockridge, Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. He was uh, a friend before he passed uh, about 15 years ago, uh, preached some of the great sermons. He said uh, his lordship is based on his ownership. He said he did not have to give a song that the birds sing, for he owns them. He did not have to write his name in the sunset, for he owns it. He did not have have to put a patent on the things he created, for he owns them. His lordship is based on his ownership. Mm -hmm. Can you hear me now? He like honey to the bee. He like oats to the horse. Come on now. Somebody get excited. I can start to preaching today. Amen. You see, all through the ages, they've been trying to destroy him. They tried to destroy him by a fire, but he refused to burn. Tried to destroy him by, by water, but he walked on the water. Tried to destroy him by ignoring and rejecting him. Before long, you'll hear a voice that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Let me tell you, his lordship is based on his ownership. Amen.
When you get a handle on that, everything is simple. When you try to, everything you hold on to and try to control leaves you. Have you ever noticed that? I've noticed that with grandkids. I, come sit on my lap. No. Don't sit on my lap and here they come. I don't understand. It's just the way it works. But there's a principle in life. Everything you try to hold on to, you can lose. You have to release. If you haven't released your very life to God and you're trying to control your life, you can't control it. If you try to, release, if you try to hold on to your money, you will never be satisfied with it. Ecclesiastes said, he who desires money will never be satisfied with it. You have to release. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 through 14. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. Can you imagine forgetting the Lord your God? And yet we do in our everyday life sometimes, don't we? By not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full, have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold have multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. Did you notice that God never works by addition? He doesn't. You never see God adding. No, God, what he does is he multiplies that which you invest because he wants you to have a good return on everything you're doing. And when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, see what happens is you become satisfied with your life. I say to people, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm just, I'm happy with everything I have. Well, how do you know you're gonna keep it? Will you be happy if you lose half of it? See, your contentment cannot be in stuff. It has to be in God. Your life has to come from the very heart of the living God. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. Then you say in your heart, my power and my might and my hand have gained me this wealth. Is the person that says, man, I've worked hard. Look what I've done. You should work hard. That's a part of life. But you shouldn't take credit for what you have. It's God. You see, it says, by my hand have gained this wealth, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. I was sitting down with a, the guy who invented the brushless car wash. Now, if you say, what is that? That's when you drive in those gas stations and it squirts soap on there and then it squirts water on it and charges you eight bucks. Well, he invented that. And his wife went to our church and, and Harry did not. She said, can you go, and I, I can't tell you how many men I've tried to corral this way, all right? Can you go have lunch with Harry? And talk to him. Well, in the middle of all of this, his son, now Harry was very wealthy. He raced uh, vintage motor cars, and his son had gotten caught up in cocaine and, and was losing everything, and, and his life was falling apart. And I sat down with Harry, and we're talking, and Harry wasn't a Christian. And I said, uh, Harry, you know what really bugs you about Mark? He said, what's that? He said, because he's on drugs and because his family's falling apart. And I said, no, because fi- we finally found something your money and your power can't control. And he said, well, I'm not used to people talking to me like that. I said, well, then don't have me out to lunch again. Because I'm not, I'm not going to hold back for you. The end part of the story was he asked me out to lunch the next week. The big part of the story is that Mark got straightened out, got off cocaine, put his life back together, and Harry became a Christian. You see, boldness in the kingdom will always pay you a dividend. 
Can you imagine if Daniel went into the, was getting ready to be thrown into the lion's den and he started crying and screaming? Please don't do this. What do you want, king? I'll do anything you want. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They said, uh, if God's not able to deliver, so be it, but we will not bow our knee to you, O king, Nebuchadnezzar. See, boldness is connected with faith. You cannot have faith and not be bold. Only one give me some affirmation is the baby. I need some more. <laughs> Amen? All right, now look what it says. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Now, this is another scripture we've been walking you through this whole time in all these series, all three of the messages prior to this one. Open the windows of heaven. You know, I grew up in a home without air conditioning. Then my dad finally got one, a little window unit, but he had a rule. We could only turn it on when all three family members were in the room. He was a Dutch cheapo, I'm telling you. You know, so my job was like herding cattle, trying to get mom and dad in the room so we could turn on the air. I mean, it was, it was Denver. It was 100 degrees. It was hot. But you know what he said? Open the window. And I said, I'd do that, Dad, but it's hotter outside than it is inside. But let me tell you something. It's hotter in the kingdom of heaven than it is on earth. Open up the windows of heaven and get the fire of the Spirit in your life. Look what it says. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. You realize this is the only thing in the word of God that ever, God ever says, test me. The only thing. Test me in this, says the Lord. If I will not open the windows of heaven, pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer. Notice the, the definite article in front of the word devourer. This is talking about Satan. This is talking about his attack in your life. This is not an economic attack. This is not a recession. This is the enemy trying to destroy that which is good and holy and pure in our world. He says, and when you do that, there will not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit in the field. Now, I, can I just say this right now? I just am so proud of you. As a church, I'm telling you, I'm so proud of you as a church. Because last week we put this up. We said, bring the tithe and fill the house. And look, look at what you did in the last week. We needed $103,000, and you gave about 70000 of that last week. I mean, you ought to put your hands together. You say, well, I'd clap, but I didn't give anything. Well, that's why we have 35 left for you. Amen. But I want you just to see what God can do. You see, what you have to remember, it's not about how rich you are, it's about how faithful you are. Collectively, when everybody does their part, it's amazing what happens. See, everybody needs to be a participant in all aspects of the kingdom of God. When Paul was speaking to the elders at, at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he said, I did not hold back from you the whole counsel of God. You see, what he's saying is everything that God has spoken is important. The Bible says every word of the Lord is pure, 
like silver refined in a furnace of fire seven times, Proverbs chapter 30. Amen? Jesus said every jot and tittle, the smallest letters in the Hebrew language, every jot and tittle will be fulfilled. See, he says, I didn't come here, I didn't come here to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it down to the very smallest grammatical uh, marks that you can see in the language. You see, God supplies and multiplies. This is the good news. God is a supplier, and then what he supplies, you, you plant, and then it multiplies. Look at what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. He who supplies seed to the sower, that's you. But notice, it doesn't say he supplies seed to the non-sower. Seed to the sower. If you're faithful, God's going to give you more seed. You know, Proverbs is a great book. I tell, I tell men, every man should be reading a proverb a day corresponding with the chapter of the month, or the day of the month. And just do it the rest of your life. And if you forget a week, it's guilt-free Bible reading. You don't have to go back and read it. Just pick up where you forgot, where you remembered, and then do it your whole life. And over a lifetime, you will literally, just through repetition, have memorized thousands of Proverbs. You, you won't know the reference, but you don't need to know it as long as it's in your heart. And so then a wellspring comes out of you when, when a situation demands a proverb and the Holy Spirit prompts you and goes, I think this one applies to that. And you'll begin to use it in your life. So he supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown. Can you imagine if you got all this seed and you ate it up and you didn't have any to sow and then what do you do next year? Proverbs says you better make sure you plant in the spring if you want to have a harvest in the fall. That's what he's talking about. You always have to sow in order to reap. Amen? You say you, if you only sow two seeds and you eat 98 of them, you're not going to reap much. You're going to be hungry in the fall. This is what he's talking about. He said, the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So not only does this have an effect on the way I live my life, but it brings righteousness. Do you realize that when I, when I am faithful to give unto God that my righteousness goes up? You know why? Because I'm accountable to God. I'm disciplined before God. I'm believing the promises of God. And that while you are enriched in everything, every aspect of your life should be enriched. No aspect should be un untouched. Right now, if you're looking at your life going, what areas of my life are not enriched? Then lean into those areas and say, God, what am I missing? What am I not doing? For all liberality. So when I'm enriched, I just feel liberal. Now, I don't mean politically. <laughs> be careful here. All liberality, right? Which causes thanksgiving to us, to God. See, the end is always going to be God's blessing and your gratitude for life. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. There is one who scatters yet increases all the more. And there is one that withholds more that is right but leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. Let, let, me, let me just step out of the biblical commands of, of God for a moment and just tell you something that I like. I like the way I feel when I'm generous. I hate the way I feel when I'm not. Have you ever had somebody ask you for something and you told them no because you felt like they weren't responsible for what they were doing with it? But deep down in your heart, you, you felt, you didn't feel good. You felt like 
well, I'm justified now because I told them. Yeah, but now you have to carry that with you, that negative, ugly feeling inside of you of being less than generous. What did you get from it? The Bible said, he who gives to the poor lends unto the Lord and the Lord will repay. Did you hear that? When I give to the poor, he says, I'm lending to God and God's gonna repay me. Isn't that amazing? Scripture's so amazing. Okay, one more scripture here. Luke chapter six, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. That's a promise. Did you hear what it says? If I give, God's gonna give unto me. It's gonna be good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over and put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. This is the law of the harvest. Given, it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. What does that mean? I don't have a clue, but it sounds cool, amen? Sounds really good. Like, I don't know, press it down, squeeze it, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Somebody out there has got the answer and you're gonna tell me, but listen, what I get out of this is this that God wants to bless me and he's gonna do it in relationship to how I bless other people. Amen? I just, you know, you, you heard this said before, you can't outgive God. It's just true. It's just true. God loves a cheerful giver. That word in the Greek is where we get a word hilarious. In your giving, just become hilarious. See what God can do. See how God will bless you. Let's stand together, and I want us to to pray, and I want us to sing. Father, you've taken us uh, today on a journey of faith, and what does it mean to believe God, to walk in the invisible in order to see the tangible and the visible? What does it mean to walk in the spiritual and not in the natural? What does it mean to lay claim on the great promises of God by faith? God, may our faith all increase. May all of our faith increase today. May you reach for that which you cannot see possible in the visible, but you know it's possible in the invisible. God, I pray that a spirit of faith would fall on this house today. That every person's faith would be rising, would be stronger, would be more bold, would be more courageous to see the hand of God. God, we need your hand in this day. We need to walk in the spirit with your power and your authority. Fill us now, spirit of God. Begin to speak to every heart in the spiritual realm, to whatever area, God, that needs to be addressed. Holy Spirit, would you touch every person in this place? Would you just cry out to him and say, I see the hand of God in my life. I'm gonna walk in it. I I hear the voice of God. I'm going to obey it. Would you say, I'm going to let Christ in me be the power and the authority and the reason that I live out my life. Christ in me, the Holy Spirit of God, powerful in you, through you, and for you. In Jesus' name.